Welcome to Veritas, second week of the year. Everybody's here. Looking for some seats. If you don't know me, my name is Austin Connor. I am one of the co-directors here at Veritas, starting my 10th year. Long, long time ago, I sat right where you sat. I lived in Gillette, the fifth floor. Plaza was being built, no central heating, 8 a.m. chemistry. It was awesome. No. I got a picture of my family behind me. I married up. Every man does. This is my wife, Polly, and our three adorable... Somebody just whooped at my wife. What the heck? My three adorable children, Adeline, she's six, Tyler's four, Clayton's one. Some of you know them, and you still talk to me, so thank you. They, they're great joys of my life. They're also a circus. We're kicking off the semester here at Veritas with a series called The Bigger, Better Story. And whether you know it or not, our culture is telling all sorts of stories. They tell us what's right, what's wrong, what satisfies us, what doesn't, what gives us meaning and purpose, what the good life is. And that's actually the question we're going to try to answer tonight. What is the good life? Bobby McFerrin has an answer to that question. Maybe you guys have heard heard this before. Everybody knows what's coming. I didn't imagine how awkward it would be standing up here in front of you. But you get it. Here it comes. Here's a little song I wrote. You might want to sing it note for note. Don't worry. What's the good life? Be happy. There it is. All right, you can cut it right there. Thank you, Ben. Be happy. What's the good life? It's be happy. That song is going to be in our heads for the rest of time, by the way. What's a good life? Be happy. Most Americans believe that, actually. A couple researchers named Gabe Lyons and Dave Kinneman, they did a recent poll and they found that 84% of Americans said that enjoying yourself is the good life. 86% of Americans said to live the good life, you've got to pursue the things that you desire most. The state of Florida believes that the good life is finding your own path. A couple of years ago, this is true, Florida passed a state law requiring all universities to offer some sort of course called What is the Good Life? There's a freshman in one of those courses at the University of Florida. That's what she said. She explained that the overarching purpose of the class was to try to get the students to realize that college is an experience where you're supposed to find your path and find your way. And again, this fits with all the research is finding. Those researchers found that 91% of Americans agreed with that freshman that to find yourself, you need to find your own path. Where do you find your own path? Well, you look within yourself. You look within yourself. Interestingly, three out of four Christians, involved Christians who go to a church, said the same thing. To find your path, you look within yourself. So the good life, finding your path. Late, uh, late show host, Stephen Colbert, some of you know him, probably all of you. He believes the good life is making the world a better place. A couple of years ago, he ended a commencement speech to students at Wake Forest, and he said this. He encouraged students to find the courage to decide for yourself what's right 
and what's wrong, and then make the world good according to your standards, no matter what others might think. Now, I don't agree with everything uh, in that statement, especially the part about making the world good according to your own standards. But I want to appreciate, I think we can appreciate the sentiment, the good life is making the world a better place. There's an acknowledgement that there's something wrong with the world, and we can do something to make it better. There's all sorts of ideas about what the good life is. What about you? If somebody asked you that on the street, what, what would you say? How do you enjoy yourself? What are those things that you've decided, you know what, this is worth pursuing because it's going to make me happiest. It's going to fulfill me. It's worth it. What are those things? A few of you were nice enough to humor me because I asked you that question a, a couple days ago. And again, they were nice enough to give me honest and thoughtful answers, not the, not the this is what I should say, but seemingly what, what the real answers were. A couple, couple different responses. Some said the good life was having an ideal career, a career where they felt needed. They were doing things that were making a difference in the world, a difference in people's lives, a career that was challenging physically, mentally, and also one that allowed maybe some flexibility to travel, to go places, to speak to others. Some students said that the good life had to do with wanting a happy, healthy family. That's a good thing. I want that because I've got one. Want a, want, a, want a faithful spouse, want to be involved in a local church, want to have a nice big home so that you can be hospitable and host people. Somebody wanted a dog that loves people. That's a good thing. <laughs> I have two dogs. One loves people, one doesn't. Some of you know him. Oh, Chauncey. No surprise, some, some people, most people said that a good life was one free of financial responsibilities. Not a lot of financial burdens, not a lot of debt. That's the good life. If I could just get rid of all my debt. Somebody said the good life is a simple life. They don't want much, just a house with a yard and a family, a job that pays the bills, have enough to help people. That's great. I was a freshman here, like I said, 14 years ago. If you'd asked me that question, I would have said, it's having a six-pack and seeing where the night takes me. No joke. That's what I did my first two and a half years of college. I, I, I was really, I was all business Sunday through Thursday. I had a steady job. I had lots of hours. I had scholarships to keep up. And so I did my work. I didn't do anything socially. But come Thursday night, I earned my going out nights. And that's what I did. I go to parties off campus. I play beer pong. I do flip cup tournaments. And I was really good. I do power hours. I mean, it was, it was great. The first two, two and a half years of college were were awesome. You see, my good life was exercising that freedom that I never had in high school with my parents around. My parents were always kind of the killjoys, and I could never do anything that I wanted to do. I had to be home at a curfew at 10 p.m. at my mom's house and 11 p.m. at my dad's house all the way till I was 18. It was ridiculous. But I got to college, stay out as late as I want, do what I want. I'm not surprised if a lot of you feel the same way in this room right now. I'm not sure what the good life is for you, but I know that we have one, and here's the deal. You shouldn't feel bad about that. I'm not going to name all these and just say you're terrible people, make you feel guilty. That's actually what we were made for. It's okay to want to feel like we're making a difference with our lives. It's okay to want success. It's okay to want friends. It's okay to want a family. It's okay to want to be, res- be respected and valued and thought that we're actually worthy and have something to bring to the table. Do you think you've found that best good life yet? Have you found the thing that is most satisfying? Or, or do you think there could be something better? Is there something better, a bigger, more satisfying good life out there? Or, or, are we settling? 
I know one thing for sure. All of us in this room have settled before. You know how I know? We were all middle schoolers once. (laughs) Everybody made it through the eighth grade, I think. This is me in the eighth grade. I had hair. (laughs) I can't. It's true. It's true. Thank you, Cole. That's a pity clap. I need all the pity I can get. That was me. It's not a trailer for the hunt for Red October. That's me. It's Olympic rings. Atlanta, something like that. Yeah. Now, he who is without sin, why don't you send me your eighth grade picks? We'll see how you compare. Go ahead. Send me the pick. I'll put it up here by the end of the talk. That's fine. Just kidding. But I mean, stop just for a second. You get it right. Stop and think about eighth grade you. Maybe you had braces, lots of pimples, whatever. Eighth grade you, what was your good life? How would you have answered that question? You know what I haven't answered? Three things. Uh, It would be getting the new light-up butterfly Dunkin' yo-yo. Anybody have one of those? Oh, I was a yo-yo. Thank you. Thank you, brother Kyle. Someone, yeah, that's right. Yo-yos were all the thing. Had to do all these little tricks. You guys don't care. You think I'm a dork. Uh, Another thing, getting as many Mark McGuire baseball cards as I could. Yes, that's right. Thank you, Isaac. Uh, it was a steroid era, but I collected baseball cards. Last and certainly not least, pogs. Anybody know what pogs are? Probably not. This is what they are. They're little paper things. You had slammers and canisters. There's a Stranger Things pogs collection. Look, I'm, I'm not kidding. They still exist. Stranger Things pogs. That's what I wanted. Those, that was my good life. Maybe I've just lost all of you. Maybe we should just go home here. Here's my point. The eighth grade you really believed... God bless your heart, that that good life was best, was most satisfying. But you know now how kind of naive, how silly, maybe silly, but look, there was, you knew there was something better. Here's, here's, here's another question. What will the 30-year-old you say about 20-year-old you, 19-year-old you, 18-year-old you? What will they say about the good life that you're living now? How would they evaluate it? Is it, is it possible, is it possible that just like in eighth grade we settled, is it possible that we're settling for something good, something good, but gosh, is there something, is there something better? You see, the reality is that there's a good life bigger and better than all the rest, anything that we can think of. And we learn about what that good life is in the pages of Scripture, in the pages of the Bible. The Bible is God's word given to us. It is alive, it's living, it's active. And it's spoken to you and me. So if you have your Bibles, whether the paperback or on your phone, turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 19. Luke is in the New Testament. First two-thirds of your Bible, Old Testament. Last third, New Testament. Luke is one of the four Gospels. The four Gospels are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And a Gospel is simply a recounting of a story, the true story of Jesus' life, his teachings, his miracles. So the author of Luke's gospel was Luke, and he was a faithful journalist. He went around the ancient Near East around the 40s, the 50s, the 60s, and he was interviewing people. He was interviewing people who saw Jesus, who talked with Jesus, who heard his teaching. And then he compiled all of these accounts into this book that we have. So when we say this is a story of Jesus, it's a true story. It's reliable. Let's, uh, let's pick up in verse 1. We're going to read uh, tonight about an interaction Jesus has with a guy named Zacchaeus. So start in verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. 
Now, as you read through the Gospels, whenever you get details about people, you need to slow down because that is the author's way of telling us this is something important that we need to listen to. So, a couple of things we learned about Zacchaeus was that he was the chief tax collector and he was rich. Now, tax collectors were people who essentially worked for the Roman Empire. It's a big map of Rome behind me here. And in the southeast corner of this map, you'll see the city of Jerusalem. And Jerusalem is the capital of Israel, in an area of Israel, Judea. Okay? And this is where Zacchaeus is living. He's working for the Roman government. Now, as you can see, the Roman Empire is huge. Whenever they conquer people, it's an opportunity to profit from them. But it was too much work to, for Rome to send out all their people. So what they would do is they would coerce locals. They would find people who were willing to turn on their own people, willing to be traitors. And what they would do is they would put these tax-collecting contracts up for bidding so that these locals, you could bid on the highest contract, the highest bidder won. You paid the most money to be the tax collector. And so what you did then is you were in charge of collecting the required amount of taxes from the local people. So Zacchaeus would walk around Jerusalem, walk around Judea, walk around Jericho, and would collect taxes from people. Now here's the deal. Once he got his minimum, whatever he got left was the rest. And so he is in a position and a system that thrives on greed, on corruption, on doing whatever I can to get the most money out of people. That's who Zacchaeus is. That's where he's operating. He's a very wealthy, wealthy man, but he's also a very hated man. You can imagine why, but again, more context will help this stand out. Zacchaeus is living among and exploiting his own people, the Jews. The Jewish people had been saved from Egypt. They were brought into the promised land, and they were given a great mission by God. They were supposed to be the hands and feet of God to the rest of the world. In every interaction they had, individually and as a people, they were supposed to show God's love, God's justice, God's mercy. But then they got conquered, and then they got conquered again, and they got conquered again. And when they were conquered, they weren't able to live out their full mission and their full story. So come to the first century, and Rome is occupying them, they're the stumbling block. They're the reason that they can't live up to their full potential. And so when they found out that someone was tax collecting one of their own people, they were traitors, and they hated them. They were the problem. This is who Zacchaeus is. And he's not just a tax collector. He's the chief tax collector. So he's having tax collecting uh, seminars, how to be a tax collector. He's training people. He's encouraging people. He's the head honcho. Let's keep reading. Verse 3. Zacchaeus was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. Did you notice what he was doing? He was seeking to see who Jesus was. Why would he do that? I mean, think about this. He has all the wealth you can imagine. He has a ton of power, a ton of influence, enormous amount of freedom. He can do what he wants. Why would he be seeking Jesus? Satisfied people don't go seeking. Turns out his good life wasn't so good. I mentioned earlier, first two and a half years of, of my college career were awesome, but actually it turns out that I was settling. Now, if I was a freshman and I heard somebody say that I potentially might be settling, I, I would have thought you were crazy. I would have thought you don't know what you're talking about. You don't really know me. You just kind of say this to say this. If, if social media existed at the time, I would have pulled my phone out and I would have just started scrolling and tuned me out. I get it. I totally 
I totally get it. But, but here's the deal. Things changed my junior year. You see, I was at the height of my good life. I was in the best shape of my life. I was going out three or four times a week. I was great friends with my entire pledge class in my fraternity, and I was depressed. I lived in the corner room of one of, one of the fraternities, and it was a huge day party, the biggest day party of the year. I remember going to bed that night, still drunk, climbed into the top bunk, and I said, this is it? Like, I can't go any higher. This is it? I was depressed. I was depressed. I said, you know, there's got to be more than this. It turns out I was settling. Maybe that's you. Let's finish out our passage here. Luke 19, 3, let's back it up to 3. He was seeking, Zacchaeus was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead, climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry, come down, for I must stay at your house today. So Zacchaeus hurried and he came down and he received him, received Jesus joyfully. And when they saw it, that's the crowd, when the crowd saw it, they all grumbled. He's gone in to be the guest of a man who's a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and he said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. If I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he is also a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. You see, in the end, Zacchaeus found a better good life. See, before he met Jesus, he was convinced that his good life, a life amassing wealth, regardless of the impact it had on his own people, he was convinced that was the good life. But after he met Jesus, he was convinced that a good life was spent seeking after Jesus. What happened? What the heck happened to Zacchaeus? Why would he do this? Well, this text gives us three reasons. Here's the first. The first is that Jesus stopped for Zacchaeus. If we back up to verse 1, we read that Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. So it seems like, you know, Jericho is just a blip on the map. If you've driven from Columbia to St. Louis or Columbia to KC, you got all these little towns. No reason to stop there. You're just passing through, going to a destination. It's what it seems like. But then we get to verse 5. It says, Jesus came to the place. That's that sycamore tree Zacchaeus had climbed. He looks up and he says, come down. I've got to stay at your house today. He stopped for him. A few years ago, yeah, a long time ago now, um, I was playing basketball at the rec center, and I took a knee. If anybody played basketball, you know how fun it is to take a knee right in the soft meat of your quad. It was bad, and I was an idiot. I tried to play for 30 more minutes because I'm a dude, and I got to tough it out. That did not help. Uh, next day, I was kind of limping around. We Actually, I was on staff here. We had to set up for Veritas. The next day, I could barely move, and at about 10 or 11 p.m., I'm in tears at my bed, because my leg is swollen up, I can't move it. My roommate at the time, buddy Andy, he was talking with his now wife on the phone, and I, I, I think I literally crawled over to his room. I said, Andy, I'm so sorry, I need to go to the ER. So we hung up the phone, and we drove to the ER, and it was packed for whatever reason. Was there, got discharged at 4 a.m., uh, but he helped me. Turns out it was a hematoma, which is just the worst, ugliest, grossest bruise you'll ever imagine. The entire underside of my leg was black and blue. It was gross. Anyway, my buddy Andy was there. He stopped what he was doing. He stayed with me the whole time. And I, I felt cared for. Looking back on it, I felt valued. I felt seen. What is that? 
You know, that's, that's exactly what Jesus does for Zacchaeus. When Jesus stops for Zacchaeus and doesn't just pass through, Zacchaeus actually realized that he was noticed, that he was worthwhile, maybe, maybe for the first time in his life. Second reason, Jesus spent time with Zacchaeus. Again, Zacchaeus was, in, was told by Jesus that Jesus wanted to stay at his house today. That's another way of saying Jesus wanted to enter his very life. You see, in this culture, the evening meal was the most significant meal of the day. Everybody, it was a very family-oriented culture. You don't just have yourself and your wife and your kids. You've got your aunts, your uncles, your grandmas, your grandpas, your cousins. It's a big deal to come to a family meal, and you'd eat really late, and you'd stay up really late talking. This is a very intimate family setting. Imagine if you were invited by some good friends on a family vacation, or imagine if you were invited to their family reunion. You realize that you're kind of in That takes a lot to be invited. This is exactly what Jesus wanted from Zacchaeus. You see, Jesus didn't have to invite Zacchaeus over, but he wanted to. He didn't have to, but he wanted to. Here's another crazy thing. Think about all the things Zacchaeus did in his life. Think about the things that he did to his own people. He exploited them. He was complicit in a totally unjust and corrupt system. Think of all the the parents whose kids went hungry because of him. Think of all the families who died because they didn't have enough money to get better. He viewed them just as dollar signs. Jesus knew every single thing Zacchaeus ever did, and that was not enough to keep Jesus away. What have have you done to others? What are the things that you're ashamed of? What would you be embarrassed by if it was up on the screen here? What haven't you told anybody before? I don't know. I don't know what that is. But Jesus does. There's no such thing as a secret to Jesus. And you know what? That's not enough to keep him away. He knows it. He doesn't have to come to you, and yet he wants to come to you, just like he wanted to come to Zacchaeus. Final reason. Zacchaeus was convinced that seeking Jesus was better was that Jesus sacrificed himself, his reputation, for Zacchaeus. So we go back to verse 7. Remember when the crowd saw it, when they saw Jesus going to the home of Zacchaeus for dinner, the crowd grumbled, he's gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. So tax collectors were hated to the point where the Jewish rabbis of the day, they said, if anybody enters the house of a tax collector, they are unclean. In other words, they are unfit to worship God. That's how much tax collectors were hated. So when Jesus goes into that house, he is now associated as a sinner. The crowd is watching and assuming that Jesus approves of his lifestyle, approves of the Roman Empire's oppression of of his very people. When he entered the house, he knew what was going to happen. He's not an idiot. He knows the the tabloids and what they're going to say. He knows the internet is going to explode. Twitter's going to just dump all over him for what he's doing and who he's associating with. He knew it all and he didn't care. He sacrificed his reputation for the sake of, of Zacchaeus. And of course, if you know the entire story of Jesus' life, you know he didn't just sacrifice his reputation for Zacchaeus. He died for Zacchaeus on a cross. Same is true for you and for me. And those good lives that you and I are, are living for, do you have somebody who's willing to stop for you? Do you have somebody who's willing to spend time with you, who wants you to come to them? Not just have a conversation on social media or kind of in passing or maybe at a large group on Tuesday night, but somebody who will take the time to get to know you? Is there somebody willing to sacrifice their reputation for you, even to die for you? Maybe, but 
Probably not. Last question. What does Zacchaeus have to do to seek Jesus out? It wasn't easy. You know, he gets to this crowd and he can't see over the crowd because of his height, so he had to climb a tree. Now, in this, in this day and age, that's just something you didn't do. This is a very traditional, very patriarchal society and, and proper kids climb trees. To see somebody climbing a tree would be the most ridiculous thing you had ever seen. It's even still a little bit weird today, right? If you see uh, the Mizzou's president going to climb a tree or you see, you know, some huge political figure doing that, it'd be a little bit weird. So much more back then. But you know what? Zacchaeus didn't care. Zacchaeus did not care one bit. He was willing to look silly. He was willing to lose his dignity because he wanted to see Jesus. You know, would you be willing to do that? I'm not sure what it'll look like, but a life spent seeking Jesus will mean that you might at times have to look silly. You know, you might be ridiculed for the one who doesn't drink underage. You might be outed in some of your classes as being the, the backward, bigoted Christian who doesn't really know anything. You might get made fun of because you've told someone that you're waiting to have sex before, until after you're married because that's what Jesus commands. It might happen. I hope it doesn't happen, but, but it probably will. You know, it's not always easy to seek out Jesus, but I promise you, I promise you, Zacchaeus, I promise you, it's totally worth it. It's totally worth it. I went to bed that night in my fraternity wondering if there was a, a better good life out there. And, and, and that next week, some people came and dinner spoke about this mission trip down to Jamaica. And I had done a couple of trips like that in high school, and I thought, hey, that, that could be good. I was intrigued because I was seeking something better. Now, at the time, I didn't, I didn't think I was seeking Jesus. All I knew was that I was depressed, and I needed something better. But when I got there, when my life was changed down there, I realized I wasn't primarily seeking Jesus. Jesus was the one seeking me. Jesus was the one seeking me. He was down in Jamaica waiting for me. By his grace, he showed me that there was a bigger and a better good life to live for. He showed me that my longing to be accepted, to be valued, it wasn't found in relationships. It wasn't found in a certain career. It wasn't found in partying. The good life was found in seeking Jesus. I don't know all your stories. I don't know what you think the good life is. I don't know what you've been through. I don't know what you're going through. But what I know is my own experience. My own experience, I've been following and seeking Jesus now for 11 years. It hasn't been easy. It's been imperfect. It's been messy. It's been slow. It's been two steps forward, one and a half steps back, 51% faith at times. But in all of those days, 4,015 of them, I have never regretted the decision to seek Jesus. Not once have I ever regretted that decision. Because, because he's been seeking me. No matter what I do, no matter how I fail, no matter how bad I screw up, no matter my questions, he's seeking me because that's what he does. It's the last verse in the passage. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Is the good life finding yourself? Is the good life enjoying yourself? Is it making the world a better place? Is it finding the family, the career? I'd be willing to say that Jesus could do better. The worship team comes up. I want to close by reading a verse that um, it's probably meant more to me over the years than, than any other. 
It's, it's in the book of Psalms. That's in the Old Testament. It's Psalm 16, verse 11. It's back here on the screen. It's speaking about Jesus. This is what it says. You, Jesus, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there's fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Fullness of joy. Pleasures, not for a little bit, not for a semester, not for a year, not for a decade, forevermore. Doesn't this sound good? What if it turned out to be true? What if it was actually true? If it was, wouldn't it be worth everything to find out, to seek Jesus' presence? If and when you decide to seek him out, you're going to be like me. You're not going to regret it because he seeks after you. That's the good life. That's the good life that I want. I hope it's the good life that you want. Let me pray. Jesus, there's a lot of good lives out there. A lot of good things that you give us. A lot of things worth living for, but there's only one thing that really satisfies us. I don't know where all of us are at tonight. Maybe we're settling. I pray you would give us the courage to ask ourselves maybe some some questions we haven't asked in a long time. Maybe you haven't asked ever. What do we think the good life is? Jesus, would you remind us that you're offering something so much better than we could ever get for ourselves? In your presence, there's fullness of joy. We pray that you would help us to believe that more and more. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.